before the goodness starts flowing, I want to welcome you to the STR Sisterhood, real life stories from real life women in the short-term rental industry. I'm your host, Stacey St. John, ex-corporate girl who discovered how to replace her six-figure salary through short-term rentals and who now has the pleasure of helping others do the same. On this show, we talk to real women in the short-term rental space about their journeys and how they've managed to turn their STR dreams into reality. If you're an ambitious woman who's looking to build a successful short-term rental business, you are in the right place, sister. Welcome to another episode of the STR Sisterhood. I'm your host, Stacey St. John, and thanks for having me into your home today. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I want to share a quote with you that I recently saw that resonated with me. And it says, step out of the history that is holding you back. Step into the new story you are willing to create. And those amazing words came to us from the one and only Oprah Winfrey. Amazing, Oprah. Okay, so today we are talking everything midterm rentals, and I am chatting it up with Mel Volland. She shares her story of why she ended up pivoting into the midterm rental space and also drops her secret to success for analyzing properties, finding guests, and so much more. I cannot wait for you to meet Mel. So let's go ahead and dive in. So today we are joined by Mel Volland, and we are going to be talking about all things midterm rentals. Mel, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. I am so excited to talk about especially midterm rentals. It is such a hot topic. Everyone knows about them now. So it's like the true of the let's Amen to that. So before we dig into some of the questions that I have, what's have you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and where you're located? All right. I am obviously Mel Volland, as Stacey stated, and I am a West Coast girl who moved to the East Coast. I've been a renter for majority of my adult life. And when I moved out to the state of Virginia, I'm in Virginia Beach area. I actually purchased a duplex sight unseen. Now that is not where I got started in midterms. That's where I got started in long terms. I house hacked that and then purchased the following year a four unit that I began using that as a short term rental. Uh, and as most of us these days, we have pivoted our short-term rentals to midterm rentals. And I did that back in 2018. And the reason was because the city did not like me. <laughs> <laughs> How could anybody not like you, Mel? <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about that. What happened that forced you, shall we say, to pivot into the midterm rental space? Yes, I was absolutely forced. I had been running the business for a year as a short-term rental, and I was unaware of city regulations, which uh, for short-term rentals, we know that that has been cracked down 
on a lot, depending on where you're located. So I was in a location where I had no idea that I had to register with the city. I had no idea I had to go through a conditional use permit process. I was just totally oblivious and I got a cease and desist letter, which I think are now up to, I want to say in the area, it's either $3,000 or $5,000 fines if you continue operating, which some short-term rental hosts I've heard just pay it and keep operating illegally. I do not advise. So I was forced to pivot to midterm rental. So I started researching online what it meant to be a long-term rental. And we all have learned that that is 30 plus days days. So that is where my sweet spot was. It was during, you know, right when COVID was kind of starting. So I was panicking big time, but I was really happy with the result at that time and ended up converting all of the units to midterm rentals. Okay. So I let me just unpack a little bit yes. and recap. So you got this cease and desist letter and you chose to pivot into the midterm space. And when you said long-term rental, you mean a longer short-term rental, right? Which ends up being the midterm, correct? Yes, I was looking for the loophole. So what is the loophole for a furnished rental at that time? And and there really wasn't much online about midterm rentals. Mm -hmm. Now I know a lot of people have uh, experienced the midterm rental before it was called a midterm rental, which would be called our off season for short term, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So our off season where you try to find people for three months or so. Mm -hmm. um, That's the loophole I was looking for with the city and with the state in general. What does it mean? And how can I get around this? So I ended up reaching out to city officials and saying, hey, can I keep my listing up if I market it to 30 plus day stays? Mm-hmm. And they they gave me the approval in writing because if I get another cease and desist, yeah. something, I have that proof, which was a big thing. And they kind of told me what I needed to do for our particular area. Amazing. And I love that you thought outside of the box, because I also think it can be very easy for someone to feel defeated and deflated when you've spent money furnishing these places, right? So first order of business, if we are looking to purchase a short-term rental, before you write a contract on that property, you want to understand your local rules and regulations around short-term rentals. But Mel, I love that you are resourceful. You thought, okay, what is a way that I can continue to utilize my beautiful spaces that I've furnished so well and be able to serve a different audience in a different way? So I'm curious from your perspective now, (laughs) do you like, I I should say, I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you like the midterm rental strategy and why? I more than like it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) The reasons are many. The main reasons are obviously cash flow. So you are still making more money than you would as a long-term rental. Number two is you don't have as much turnover. Therefore, it's, I'm never going to say it's hands off because it is not, and it's not passive, but you have more time in between your guests to where 
it feels like you have more freedom in your life. You're not constantly on the phone, messaging with guests, turnovers, cleaning, all of that. It's sort of get the tenant in there. You have your check-ins every once in a while, mid, you know, right after they check in, mid stay, however you want to structure that, but it's not as daunting as a short term. Okay, cool. Now I'm curious for anyone listening who might be interested in potentially finding a midterm rental from your perspective, what do you feel like it's important to consider when you're choosing a location for your midterm rental? That's a great question because we know that with short-term and midterm location is everything and it dictates kind of the success of, of, your business, because this is a business. So uh, with a midterm, I got really lucky in the location that I'm in because it is heavy on military. So there's five bases here. There's, I think, 30 hospitals here. There's just so much happening in this area. So I think it's important for other people across the country to think about Obviously hospitals, we know that's the biggest one or how people usually start is with traveling medical professionals. Uh, You can think about universities, you can think about military, you can think about big corporate offices where they're located, transient places, uh, anything, construction. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that you can niche into with midterm rentals, but those are going to be your biggest. Obviously, we can get into this a little bit later of how to find tenants or what types of tenants, but that is going to be the biggest. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere in, I don't know, I don't want to say anything because people might have midterm rentals in like Arkansas or something, but there's going to be very specific markets within Arkansas that will work. Mm -hmm. You just have to find them. Perhaps Uh, Bentonville, right? Where Walmart (laughs) <laughs> we're Bentonville, right? Isn't that where Walmart is? Headquarters? Oh, yes. I, uh, I'm not exactly sure where Walmart is, but that's a good point. So big yeah. corporate offices. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon's a big one that people talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, cool. Now I'm also curious when it comes to expenses, obviously, you know, with a short term rental, we not only have the expenses of the household, uh, to maintain it, we've got the expenses of property management software and all kinds of tech. Talk to me, are there any specific expenses that are nuanced for midterm rentals specifically? Or do you typically have the same types of expenses for the midterm rental strategy? Yes, this is a great question. Usually it's very similar. It is very similar. So if you're operating as a short-term property, it's pretty easy to move into the midterm space. Now, there are things that are going to vary that actually might be less expensive, things like supplies as often. However, you do have more wear and tear on your linens, say, or your furniture. So you might be replacing that a little bit more frequently because you don't always have eyes on the property. There's not cleaners going in every three to seven days, right? Mm -hmm. So that's different. The other difference is going to be, of course, your 
rental amount. So what your income is going to be. So that's going to factor in when you're picking and analyzing your properties. So mm-hmm. with a short term, you might be a little bit higher. You might be five times the long-term amount. Midterm typically is two times the rental amount. You can get more, honestly. A lot of people are out there. I see advertising or saying that it's three times. I like to say two times. It feels safer. If you make more, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Other thing that's different is your occupancy and vacancy. So I believe, but because I haven't analyzed that many short-term rentals, I do it here and there, but typically for a short term, you're doing 50 per 50 to 60% occupancy. Is that on par? Well, when I analyze, I actually look at the average occupancy of that given market because candidly, it can vary quite a lot. You can have a really solid market with an average occupancy of 40 to 45% because it could be a high-end weekend market, whereas you could have a completely different market that the average is 70%, but it's highly seasonal. So you have to factor that in. So I don't necessarily use a static rule of thumb when it comes to occupancy. Okay, that's fair. And especially looking in your current market using those tools like AirDNA, Price Labs, mm-hmm. and Furnish Finder, even is mm-hmm. great with their analytics as well. Mm-hmm. So those are good ways to do it. So, but if we're talking about occupancy for midterm rentals, we're looking at what you would expect is an 85 to 95, if not 100% occupancy. Now, you're not going to always get 100% occupancy, but say you get somebody in a midterm rental for 12 months, which is, that happens, mm-hmm. then that's 100% occupancy for that year. And mm-hmm. so you've reached that. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I would say is definitely different. It's not as seasonal. It has seasons, but you're not going to vary quite as much. It's not going to fluctuate too, too heavily. Sure. Now, I do have a couple of questions based on on a couple of things you mentioned. You talked about supplies. You know, oftentimes in a short-term rental, again, depending on your market, what's reasonable and customary, depending on the type of property, is this a, you know, a high-end quote, luxury property or more of a value-based property. I do know some people provide either starter supplies when it comes to, you know, hey, we're going to supply your initial roll of paper towels and your initial uh, dishwasher pods, things of that nature. Talk to me about what's reasonable and customary to provide as far as supplies in a midterm rental specifically. Sure. It varies across the board. I've heard of hosts for midterm rentals, not even provide linens. Like they expect their guests to bring their own linens. Now, I don't agree. And, but I will put that out there that some of your competition, if you're looking to get into the midterm space is really setting the bar kind of low in my opinion. (laughs) So I also do starter supplies. I would say what's customary for midterm is starter, you know, two toilet paper for, per bathroom, your paper towels. I always do soap. 
Um, I've heard of midterm rentals not doing any type of shampoo or anything like that. They don't really do dish soap. They don't really do all of that because the expectation is that somebody's coming there for a longer term and they are going to hit the store because yeah. they're staying there for a longer right. period of time and they're expected to kind of bring their own items. Now, I, as starting out as a short-term rental host, I did all the knickknacks and all of those. And I have continued to do that because I think it's important for the health of my properties even to give them dishwasher pods, coffee, you know, and it helps in your ratings as well and and just the quality. So mm -hmm. it really is that question of quality, quantity, you know, those types of things and what type of uh, customer service, hospitality service you want to provide. So mm -hmm. the spectrum is large. Yeah. But I, my best advice would be to find a way to satisfy that guest because it's in the midterm space. It's not only the guests, it's also, it could be your external clients of insurance companies, people you partner with, realtors, you know, and they're getting, you want the feedback that they're receiving to be really great so that they send you more tenants. So Amen, sister, Amen. I, love I love that. So incredibly important. And I think that's a really, really key call out. I also want to ask you about cleaning because again, you mentioned, Hey, obviously in a midterm rental, you don't have someone in there, uh, doing a clean every three to seven days. What are your recommendations for cleaning requirements? Do you typically charge a higher cleaning amount for a deep clean after a midterm stay. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yes. So number one, I like to outfit my midterm rentals with cleaning supplies and things that are higher end in terms of vacuum cleaners, giving them mops and just brooms and all of that so that it, it cultivates a <laughs> a more cleanly stay, mm -hmm. you know, they maybe want to use that nice vacuum. They don't want to use the full cheap one. Right. Right. So outfitting your property to promote cleanliness is number one to answer your question about deep cleans. Yes. All of my cleans are deep cleans. So they do cost more and it just comes with the territory. I've walked into my properties and they are one year of dust, right? Um, it's like they never touched it. So then that begs the question, okay, should we offer them additional cleaning throughout mm -hmm. their stay? Mm -hmm. I have gone with offering it, not requiring it, but then I've had experiences where I'm like, man, I really should require that. But then yeah. it goes into your expenses a little bit. I've also offered to have them pay for their own cleaning and have my cleaners give them a discounted rate. Like maybe mm -hmm. we can something out because it helps the cleaners if they're going in mid-stay and not coming into a dump at the end of, right. of the same cleanup. So it kind of helps the tenant, helps you, and helps the cleaners if you offer that mid or more frequent cleaning while they're in there. 
the other thing to consider is it's tenant specific. So if somebody's working from home all the time, it's like you got to get them get in there, you know, in a weekend or if they're gone. So sometimes scheduling can be a challenge, but I think it's good to have the option to offer it. I mm -hmm. do not require it. Okay. Okay. Good to know. I'm also, you know, curious about property maintenance. So doing things like let's say you've got a 12 month tenant and typically in a long-term rental, you would expect your tenant to potentially change the air filter in the HVAC system. Talk to me a little bit about things like that. Regular maintenance in the midterm rental space. Is it customary for you to say, Hey, I want to come in quarterly to change the air filter or here's a pack of four air filters have at it, you know, please change them quarterly. Talk to me a little bit about how you approach something like that. Yes. Yeah, so maintenance is a, definitely a little bit more challenging because you're not in there all the time. So once we are in there, it is something that needs to be addressed by whoever, you know, if you're a co-host, if you have a co-host if you are managing yourself. So I have had tenants where they've said, hey, this, that, and the other, you know, the air filter looks pretty dirty. I've been here for a little while. And they're like, I can run and go get something. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like we can send it to you. We can come and do it. So if something's been missed like that, it's, it's you know, pretty, they're pretty easily they allow you to come in and do that because yeah. they, they want it to be nice too. Sure. So I would say just every time a 12 month tenant is rare. I've had probably two to three total. Okay. I don't even know if it's been that many, but I've had six months tenant tenants ex extend. Yeah. So then they might turn into an eight month or something like that. So, but a 12 month is pretty rare. So your typical check-in checkouts are quarterly and you can, you know, do those maintenance gotcha. items. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Talk to me a little bit about property analysis. So we mentioned tools like AirDNA and Furnished Finder. What is your approach or recommended approach if someone is looking to purchase a midterm rental specifically? Um, uh, how do you go about analyzing that property? Sure. I also don't think I said this, but I am a realtor and I do help people find mid and short-term rentals here locally. So something that I find works really well with short-term is obviously location, destination places, but also larger properties. So we're seeing kind of that larger properties in the short term space are performing better than some of the smaller ones. Uh, it depends on where you are, of course, but that's kind of the trend that I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And so those big properties are not going to do as well as a midterm. So number one, analyzing the property is location, of course. Number two is going to be type and size of property. So what are we really honing in on here? What performs well as a midterm rental? Uh, in my experience, two to three bedrooms are the best. I do get a lot of people looking for one ones or like studios, because of course those are going to be cheaper for a solo traveler, but they're not as sought after, I'd say. Mm -hmm. uh, so the two to three bedroom is a really good 
safe space, the larger you go, you're not going to be able to get the same amount of rent income. Um, if you have a 10 bedroom, you're not going to get, you know, $10,000 a month for it necessarily. Now, there's a lot of insurance companies that will pay a lot of money for families to stay in those types of properties, but I just don't see them being as consistent. And then you want to, like you said, go on to Price Labs, AirDNA, obviously you have to pay for those, but you can for free go on Furnish Finder, which is probably the number one place where people start with midterm rentals and listing them there. You can go to their stats section and you can type in the city that you're looking in, uh, the surrounding cities, and it really breaks down some of the data of how many properties are listed on their platform, the size and type of the property that's listed. It'll show you the price points for those um, and, you know, graph it out. They'll tell you how many visitors have typed in that specific city. So you can see if there's a thousand people looking in that area, you can see if there's 500,000 people looking in that area. And obviously, based on the ratio of existing listed properties versus how many are looking, you can kind of get a pretty good idea of what the need is in the area. So definitely doing your research on stuff like that. And then thinking about what we talked about before, like who your target audience is, who's your avatar. Are you looking for more hospitals? Are you looking for more universities? Are you looking for all of those things? Are you, you know, so really dial in on what your avatar mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. and target audiences. And that's going to be really big in figuring out, you know, what you want. And then condition of property always comes into play with both short and midterm. So you definitely want to make sure that it's nice. <laughs> and that can be, uh, you know, relative to who you're talking to. You want it to be, you want someone to want to live there. So you still are up against design style and how updated everything is. You know, if mm -hmm. it was just a long-term rental of uh, renter of eight years just moved out of that property, like you're probably going to need to do some upgrades and and all of that. So mm -hmm. keeping that as well. Yeah. No, that's a really good, really good point. I was curious again from the midterm space how much design plays into it because in the short-term rental world design is a huge differentiator right and in being able to increase our occupancy increase our nightly rate in the midterm rental space it's very interesting to hear that design still plays a really important part I believe that it does. I do because just like short term, midterms are experiencing saturation. You know, mm -hmm. city regulations, people are pivoting, and it is the fact of our industry. So, mm -hmm. saturation is becoming more prominent. And if you're providing linens, <laughs> like I said earlier, some people aren't providing linens. If you're providing linens and you have a cute, inviting space that doesn't look sterile, that doesn't look bland, that doesn't look like just Ikea furniture thrown together, you know, your occupancy will increase because mm -hmm. you have a nice property. So I am very, 
I'm a creative person. I love the design aspect of it. And I think that that's fared me well in this space. So sure. if I have some advice, I would definitely say don't skim. You might not see the same returns as a short-term rental and you don't have to go wild and crazy, but it does set you apart from your competition. And I think that's huge if you can set yourself apart. So it's yeah. still very important. Awesome. All right. Let's talk about listing your midterm rental. What are your favorite places to list your midterm rentals? And where do you seem to have the best success in finding tenants or guests? Sure. Okay. So definitely being in the real estate industry here makes a big difference. So I network with a lot of other investors, other agents, uh, you know, all of that, people send me people. <laughs> yes, tenants. They send them to me because they know I'm in the space. So if you can get out there and network with um, local real estate agents or brokerages and things like that, and you know, provide them something that they clearly need, it, it's going to make them look really good to their clients. Like, oh, we want to relocate, but we aren't closed on that property yet or this and that. Oh, well, I have a place that you can go in the interim while you're moving. As a real estate professional, if I put that hat on, it's a service you're providing to your clients. Like, I got you. I can set you up on a fantastic property with Mel or whoever. Right. So that's a great one that I think people overlook frequently. Obviously, Furnished Finder, you have people submitting requests through there all the time. I still list on Airbnb, so that's still a place that you can find guests, things like Zillow. You can even go to the MLS. you got Facebook groups. And then I think we're seeing a shift for sure from kind of a, a passive standpoint to an active. Mm -hmm. So we're used to, especially in hospitality, short-term rentals. It's like, people are going to book. People are going to book. It's like a hotel. People are going to come to us. It's not always like that. You have to put in the effort to find that tenant. So that tenant might be there three to six months, but that upfront effort needs to happen. And I think the more people sit back and wait, the less they're going to see success. So you have to change that mindset from this is a passive endeavor. People are going to come to me to, we need to make this more active and how can I operate as a business to gain clients? And so that's something that I think we're going to see a lot more of, uh, you know, Jesse Vasquez is big on this. He networks a lot with insurance companies and he is able to establish those relationships or he's their go-to person. So other places are, Ale Solutions, ALE Solutions, I just call it ALE. <laughs> ALE Solutions, which is where big insurance companies, it's a third party service basically that big insurance companies like Progressive, they utilize that third party for insurance claims and placing people in properties. So you can register there. We're seeing a lot more other third parties. Uh, I know that you interviewed Vivian and they're, you know, they have something going on and then with Hestia and then home ads. I've just been hearing a lot more about these third parties. Mm -hmm. So get involved in those Facebook groups and you'll know more about some of this stuff. I love it. Cool. 
Now talk to me about co-hosting midterm rentals. You know, obviously co-hosts are an incredibly important puzzle piece for a lot of short-term rental owners to help them kind of bridge the gap and stay as passive as possible, right? How is co-hosting a midterm rental different than co-hosting a short-term rental? Yes, this is a great question. I'll put that hat on now. So co-hosting a midterm rental is very different. In a traditional short-term rental space, when you co-host, you're actually truly partnering with the owner and essentially joining them on their Airbnb profile, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so when you're a co-host with a short-term renter in that aspect, the liability isn't quite on you as much because you're partnering with the owner. So it's really important to understand if you want to co-host midterm rentals, how do I put this? I don't want to say it's illegal, but it's not legal (laughs) to if you're not the homeowner to do leases and to do things Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm -hmm. if you're looking to co-host outside of your own property or on different platforms other than Airbnb, that is something that I always tell owners to ask, like, are they licensed real estate agent? Are they Mm -hmm. able to do this legally? Because there's a lot more liability when you have leases involved. So I'd say that's, a lot different. If you're currently co-hosting short-term rentals and you're partnering with the owner, then you're kind of in a more safe space. So just keep that in mind. There are ways that you can operate as with the landlord, but it has to be in your, I'd say, in your agreement of how that, like what you're responsible for versus the owner so that you don't have that much, as much liability on yourself. Sure. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I always advise folks when they are starting a co-hosting business, you know, this is something I teach in my accelerator program. I teach it in the co-hosting biz builder that it is incredibly important to understand your state laws when it comes to even promoting a property for rent let alone signing leases and rental agreements. You know, those are very important factors, again, to consider. And understanding your state laws and making sure you're abiding by your state laws. The last thing we want to do is set up a business on a house of cards that's going to crumble. You know, we need to make sure we're operating in a fashion that is within the the confines of the rules and regulations of your communities. So really important call out. Mm -hmm. I do want to ask you, do you you typically use a quote regular lease agreement for a midterm rental or is a different type of agreement in place? Great question. So with a tenant or guest, which I use that language in in my leases. So it's not so much tenant. I use mo- mostly like guest um, just because it just feels <laughs> better. And, and when you use the term guest, it, it doesn't necessarily take away their tenant rights, you know, for that state or whatever, but it just phrases it differently to where I know people are worried about squatters and all of that. So that kind of can, it just changes the perception, Mm -hmm. but it is pretty much a long-term rental agreement and it's just small tweaks here and there. So 
whatever you want to change within that, if you're long, if you're experiencing long term, obviously you can change things to fit your needs, but while also following your regulations with the state. So in terms of late fees, blah, 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 all of that. So you do have to think a little bit more in depth that way. And then basically you can add sections for like your, what, what your expectations are for rules. So sometimes with a long-term lease, it's pretty much like quiet hours this time per the city, you know, and then in the long-term or in the midterm lease, you might have different requirements for that, mm -hmm. like things that you really want them to, to follow. So I always put in, I list every piece of furniture. I list how many linens and things that they're going to have. So almost like an inventory on there saying, this is what's in the property. <laughs> and this is what's expected to be in the property when you leave. Mm -hmm. So that if, anything arises where furniture is stolen and missing like that wasn't your property <laughs> those are some key differences with a midterm rental lease no that's good that's good good stuff i love the idea of putting an inventory in the agreement because candidly you could do that for a short-term rental really you could and that would potentially give us recourse that's really good i've never never thought about doing an inventory even as an exhibit to our rental agreement. Mm -hmm. I love it, girl. Okay. Yeah. Now I was, I want to close by just asking if someone is interested in getting into the midterm rental space and they've never had a midterm rental before, what would your best advice for them be? and they've never done anything else and midterm is their gateway. I love it. I hope that there's people listening who are like this. My biggest advice would be when analyzing your properties, uh, make sure that you run your numbers conservatively and that the property could work as a long-term rental. If, dare I say, shit hits the fan. <laughs> Sorry, Stacey. <laughs> hey, it's all good. So. If things don't go the way that you want with your midterm rental, make sure that you can still operate as a long-term rental and at least break even until you can figure out what the heck you're going to do with it. Mm -hmm. That's a huge piece, but it's hard to say that and then say, don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. There is a, there is an art and a science to midterm rentals. And I just love it so much because you feel stealthy. Like you just feel like, you you can you can go this way you can go that way i played softball you know in college and it's like the utility player on the team is always like the most lethal weapon cuz they can do whatever they want and go and play wherever and so i just see midterm rentals as that same thing so the art and the science piece to it it's like if the numbers are close with long term and we're seeing that they're not working so well with long term but you're mm -hmm. extremely confident and you have this sense and based on your analysis that like, I think that this can do really, really well, like just go for it. Don't get stuck there because it is hard to find properties that work with long-term rental. We want to just get as close as possible as we can to that and, and just have that exit strategy. Yeah. Love that. Now I'm very curious about this softball career. I oh, kind of no. we're going to need to do a second podcast episode no. on stealthy softball players. 
who are now in the short-term rental and mid-term rental space. No, I'm kidding. Um, so fun. Okay. I want to shift to the lightning round. So oh, Mel, I'm going to ask you to answer these following questions with the very first thing that comes to mind. First question is, where is your favorite place to vacation? Oh, my favorite place to vacation. Hmm. I'm not like a one stop shop kind of gal. So I would say any national parks where there's mountains and woods, camping, backpacking, just like getting away from hustle and bustle, which is the purpose of vacation anyway. But mm -hmm. side note to that, my partner and I, we've been looking at uh, Sprinter vans to convert. So this might be my next thing. <laughs> I love it. And I'm thinking if when I'm not using it to potentially rent it out. So yeah. we'll see. I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. <laughs> Love it. Okay, cool. Now, what is one place you've never been that you want to visit? Uh, big places on my bucket list currently are uh, Thailand and Iceland. Ooh. Now, I actually just interviewed someone yesterday for the podcast, and she was mentioning that Thailand is her favorite place to visit. So oh. you are in good company, girl. I've heard it's gorgeous. So that's fun in Iceland. That's an interesting one. I, uh, I understand <laughs> the, the northern lights are pretty amazing there. Very cool. All right. What's one thing you know now that you wished you knew? when you were starting out in midterm rentals? Ooh, that's a great question. One thing I knew, how many different avenues that it could truly lead into. So I think starting out, it was like, let's just have a fun little side hustle and see what money I can make. And now it's sort of morphed into, you know, that's kind of the reason why I got my real estate license. And then now I am you know, helping other people start their midterm rentals, find midterm, just anything, co-host them. I mean, it's turned into so many different things and I don't know what it's going to turn into in the future, but I'm excited for whatever it is and I am all for it. So I guess just understanding that whatever it is that your side hustle is, whether it's short-term or term or something else, like it truly can become something so much bigger than you ever expected. So I wish I saw that vision in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. That is, I, I, that you are talking <laughs> the story of my life, right? I had no idea when I started out in short-term rentals that I was going to love it so much. You know, I was doing it as a financial investment and then I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I just love it. So I would bet, life, it changed. I would bet 90% of the people you've interviewed have that same. I bet you're right. Okay. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I have to go with my mom, of course. She is a strong, independent lady. And she always told me a couple things, three things I can think of off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Number one is go with your gut, listen to your gut. And that stays true for me every single day of my life. Number two is action breeds action. Just take one step and it'll snowball kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And then number three is take a walk. <laughs> take a walk. I love that. 
So you wake up in the morning and you're just not feeling 100% yourself or you're stuck or you're upset or you're stressed, like anything, a walk will cure it. And I 1000% believe that. So if you're feeling any of those feelings, like get up, get dressed, take a walk one foot in front of the other, and it'll feel like you accomplished something and it'll just free up your mind and everything. So those are my three. I love that. And it kind of gives me chills because you know, when I was starting out in short-term rentals and, you know, wanted to get out of my corporate job and had no idea how on earth I was going to replace my healthy salary, I didn't have it all figured out, but I knew what I wanted. And for a good 12 months, I look back on that time, the 12 the month period where I was trying to kind of get all my ducks in a row and figure everything out. And I look back on that time and I talk about the time that I walked my life back because I would get up every morning and walk and I would listen and I would listen to podcasts and coaches and think, you know, just think. And it it was a pivotal time in my life. And so I love that. Get up and take Aww. a walk. Yeah, my heart is like just soaring right now. I'm like getting a little teary-eyed. Nobody can see, but I just, it, it is such an easy thing to implement and it can truly change your life. So you walked your, I love it. You walked your life back. Yes. Okay. Last question in the lightning round. What is one thing and or person that you're grateful for today? Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to go against your question and say, I am going to say just a, an entire community of women that I feel like I've surrounded myself with. And I just feel so grateful for all of their presence. And it's just amazing to see what, what people are doing and how we can all support each other. Like I just got together with some girlfriends who are so inspiring and we just sit there and we just like spit out ideas and like we're thinking of how we can help each other and like what we can do and grow. And I just, it, it, it's so uplifting and I just love it. So I feel very grateful for the women, including you and everyone else in the community. Well, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think so many times it's very easy to operate on an island and feel like, you know, hey, I'm working a business from home or this is a side gig and, and you know, I'm on my own. And boy, oh boy, it is incredibly humbling and rewarding to surround yourself with people who have either been there, done that, and you can learn from their experiences or connect and lock arms with other people who are going through exactly what you are right this very minute. There's power in both of those. And mm -hmm. so the community is so cool. Speaking of, I just want to give a quick shameless plug for the new midterm rental meetup that you are going to be hosting inside the STR sisterhood. Yes. I am pumped. I'm so I'm pumped. So for anyone listening, if you want to learn more about midterm rentals, connect with other people 
who are doing midterm rentals or interested in that approach. If you want to learn more from Mel, she is going to be hosting a meetup the second Tuesday of every month at 7 p.m. Eastern inside the STR Sisterhood. You can grab information from the calendar at strsisterhood.com. And Mel, I am so excited to have you facilitating that discussion every month. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for allowing me to do that. I'm very excited to see how I can help and how I can bring others together to help each other. So I think that's just so amazing that you have these monthly meetups and... I just attended the money meetup and it's just fantastic, the amount of information. And I'm excited to bring what I have to the table and learn from others. So love it, really cool. love it, love it. Girl, now if anyone wants to get in touch with you personally and find out potentially how you could support them or guide them, what is the best place for them to find you online? Well, you can attend the meetup. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm also pretty active on Instagram. You can find me at Moves by Mel. I'm also on Facebook. Those are probably the main places uh, that you can find me and find more information about me and what I can do for you. I love it. Mel, thanks so much for being here. And I will see you very soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Now, before you go, I want to give a shout out to some of the amazing women inside the Female Short-Term Rental Investors Facebook group. Just yesterday, Melanie Airdai posted, and Melanie, I hope I'm saying your last name correctly. She says, cleaning question. We are staying in our STR rental and found a pan that's very dirty in the cabinet, along with another plate that needs to be washed. I'm guessing that past guests stuffed these away, but I'm curious if you expect your cleaning services to check these things. I would assume if it's put away, it's clean, but clearly that's not always the case. And we had 16 ladies jump in and share their feedback. Sonata said, I clean my own and I do check for that. However, I didn't expect my cleaner to do it when she was cleaning. Emily Durbin said, as a guest, I would understand if I found this in a cabinet. If the rest of the place is clean and there's a rogue dish, I would blame past guests, not the host or the cleaner. And we have Allison, who Allison Steinley actually uh, posted a comment as well. And she says, I was asking two things to do for checkout, wash and put away dishes and towels in the hamper, not even bedding. A guest found dirty dishes in a cabinet. So now I just asked to wash dishes and leave on the counter. This way the cleaner can redo them or put them away herself. What a great idea, Allison. Thank you so much for sharing. All right, my friends, that is it for this episode. I hope you have an amazing, amazing week. And with that, I will see you very, very soon. Hey, sister, thanks for listening to the podcast. I wanted to let you know about a free resource my team is providing, the STR Success Blueprint Strategy Session. If you're looking to take your STR business to the next level, or heck, even just get it started, this free one-on-one is something you won't want to miss. 
You'll discover new tools for your STR business and outline an action plan that will help you achieve your goals and reverse engineer your STR success. This session is your chance to get the help you need to succeed. Schedule your free STR Success Blueprint Strategy Session right now by visiting stacystjohn.com backslash success.